How many of you guys oftentimes say things, and before the last word gets off your lip, you wish you had a mulligan and a do-over? Anybody like that? It's like, why did I say that? Because things that I oftentimes find comical, she finds to be very crushing. You ever been there? And, and so I started thinking years ago, I wrote this acrostic out, and it, it's become a filter that I wish I used every day. But it's like, is what I'm sharing right now truthful? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? It's kind of my think filter, if you will. But can I tell you, even as I try to contemplate this, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? I still find myself blowing it all the time. Anybody like that? And and here's what I've learned. Barb and I, we've been married over 25 years. I've learned that getting married is easy, but staying married is work. Is that the way it is in your house? I mean, it's not easy. It requires work day in and day out. So anybody here want to have a successful marriage? I mean, seriously. I mean, you want to win in this area? And uh, I, I think we all do. I've asked my friend Hannah Johnson if she would share with us this morning about her unlikely romance. Good morning. Um, I'm used to teaching kindergarten, so this is, if I mess up my husband and I's love story, don't tell him because I'm a little nervous. Okay, so I remember the day that I called my mom and dad. I called them on speakerphone. I was sitting on my bed in college. And I called him and I said, I have found the man I'm going to marry, the man I'm in love with. He makes me a better person. But he is a convicted felon. So don't freak out. So my dad, could you imagine your 19-year-old daughter calling you up and telling you that she's going to marry a convicted felon? I'm pretty sure he was silent. Like silent. I was like, Mom, is my dad still there? He's like, she's like, yeah, but you might want to hang up. So, <laughs> rewind, I'm going to give you a little background about me and Corey. Um, growing up, I grew up in church, Wednesdays, Sundays. I went to a Christian school. Um, I was always involved in extracurriculars, cheerleading, anything academic. Um, my parents had to, like, make me stay out till curfew to let me make me live a little because I was just not a rule breaker. I was an extreme rule follower. Now, Corey was just born a wild child. He did what he wanted to do. He had a curfew, but it didn't apply to him. Um, He barely passed high school by the skin of his teeth. He passed high school with his smile and his endearing personality. Um, So we were way opposite, way, way, way opposite. Um, So fast forward, I was in my second year of college, and my roommate introduced me to Corey in August. He came for a visit, and I was like, oh, this guy's super cute, but I didn't even think anything about it. Then he came back in September, and I went to eat with her and him, and I sat by him, and I was just, like, in awe. I was, like, in love, you know, awestruck, and I was like, this is going to be the guy I'm going to marry. So he, let's see, I met him on that Sunday, and then that Thursday, he actually had to go to court. Um, He was 19, and he was driving drunk, and it killed his best friend when he got in a car wreck. So three years later, and three days later, after we had met and kind of fallen in love, he went um, and was sentenced to four years in Gwinnett County Department of Corrections. 
So a cu- couple months went by, and I never heard from him. Then I got a phone call, and that it all started. I went almost every Saturday and Sunday for a year to visitation. Um, our first Valentine's Day was spent four foot apart, eating Twinkies and Ho-Hos out of the vending machine. It was precious. <laughs> um, and we had a lot of people praying for us. Um, I stood by him. I, I just knew that this was right. I mean, I was a Christian girl. I was praying about it, and I just felt like God was telling me, this is the man you're going to marry. It may not, you know, on paper, it may not be everything that you think is what's supposed to happen, but this is the man you're going to marry. So about a year went by. Um, I met my in-laws, and we bonded over who was going to set the metal detector off. Um, I had to meet them before, you know, he was in there, and I just had to say, hey, I'm Hannah, what's up? Um, So... A year went by, and I was 20, and, you know, the first year is kind of the easiest, he said. Then it got real rough. So we kind of split apart, um, and the last year he was there, we kind of reconnected a little bit, and when he got out, I was scared to death. I waited a whole week to go see him, um, but the second he walked out of his house and I was able to hug him, I was like, this is it. Like, this is absolutely what God has been telling me, and so we dated, and then we found our home church. Um, and we kept God, you know, our relationships with God, the horizontal. So our vertical relationship just grew and grew and grew. And, um, we did premarital counseling. He proposed to me and it was just, marriage isn't easy. It's hard. But when you marry your best friend that God has sent you, um, it makes it fun and it, it makes it a little bit easier. Um, so that's kind of my unlikely romance that God has designed and maintained. And I am so blessed and looking forward to a lot of adventures with my husband. <laughs> Good job. That's a great story. Hannah and Corey got married last uh, year and a half ago in June. They got married down in Greensboro. I did their pre-marriage counseling. Hannah and Corey have been locked in with us here for a while. And uh, I'll never forget this day. It made me laugh so hard. Dad, you'll remember this. Nick, you were there. It was so hot. It was this outside venue. We were all just dripping. I think it was the third time in the last five years I wore a sports coat. So I had a sports coat on. Hannah is just, I mean, magnificent beauty just leaking out of her that day. And so we're standing there, and I'm talking through this whole marriage ceremony. She's got sweat dripping. Corey's got, everybody is just dripping sweat. She's got on a strapless wedding dress, and she reaches down and grabs a Kleenex and starts to wipe sweat, pulls it right out. And I'm like, I like this girl right here. (laughs) It doesn't matter. But to see the love story, we're going to baptize Corey this morning in our second service, and just to see how God has brought an unlikely romance that is so founded on the Spirit of God. And if you knew, when she talked about prayer, if you knew Corey's grandmother, Miss Zelma, that lady will get up at 3, 4 in the morning. She is a prayer warrior. I send her stuff at times like, Miss Zelma, I need prayer in this area. And she's one of uh, just a small handful of people that I'll send stuff to. But she prayed and prayed for Corey and prayed for Corey and Hannah. So much so that Corey got a few tattoos while he was in prison. And she was praying that God would take the ink off of his skin because she hated him so bad. I mean, so she'll be here in the second service. You need to meet her. She's a phenomenal lady. 
So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for allowing us to, uh, to really come to know you and to trust you and to be led by you. And I pray for every marriage, potential marriage, struggling marriage that's in this room right now. I pray that each and every one of us would really have our hearts open to what you have to say. I pray that we would really, uh, that we would really submit to your lordship and leadership in our lives now. In Christ's name, amen. Now, I want to share with you, out of the gate, God's blueprint for a healthy marriage. And I want, I want to share the blueprint that God gives us in Genesis. And if you've got your bulletin, I ask you to open it up there. But Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Genesis 2, 7, God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Creation was God's idea. God takes dirt. He fashions together dirt. He breathes into the nostrils of this dirt man that he's made. And the breath that was breathed into the nostrils is what identified man's uniqueness. He had the breath of God inside of him. Now watch this. Chapter 2, verse 15. God, God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. God commanded the man saying from any tree of the garden you may eat freely but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you do eat you will die then God the Lord said it is not good for the man to be alone I will make him a helper suitable for him 21 God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place, God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man. God brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave, be joined together with his wife, and they shall weave, they shall become one flesh. Leaving, cleaving, weaving. Now, here's, here's what I want you to get. Marriage is God's idea. The blueprint of marriage cannot be redefined by modern, postmodern, secular culture in which we live today. If we're going to get a working definition and a true definition of what marriage is, we've got to go back to Genesis and say, God, how do you define it? What's your blueprint? Now, marriage is God's idea. I've got five things I want to hit with you as I start to build this teaching. One, marriage is defined as the union of male and female. There is no other equations, if you will, that work when it comes to marriage. It is intentionally male, intentionally female. That is God's design. We do not have permission as a culture to redefine God's blueprint. That's not up to us. The creator, the maker, the establisher, the perfecter of all things is the only one who can give definition of what marriage is. So, that being said, it is the 
it, it is defined as the union of male and female. It is not based on sexual desire or sexual orientation. Sin disrupted humanity at every level. Sin has had widespread effects throughout mankind. All of us have been affected by sin. But it has nothing to do, marriage has nothing to do with desire or what you would say orientation is too. Marriage was for the purpose of procreation and multiplication. God said, be fruitful and multiply. Any equation that eliminates life is not of God. We're going to move in uh, later this fall into a new election. And it, I'm, I'm not going to talk about Republican and Democrat. I'm going to challenge our people to look at what is the pol- politician's view on life? How do they define life? How do they go about pro-choice, pro-life? God is the author of life. How do they define marriage? Because it's a lot. Everything is under the umbrella of life. God is the one who gives life. And anyone who tries to tweak or destroy or disrupt God's definition of life, it jacks up. Why did God create Adam and Eve? He says, be fruitful and multiply. It's procreation. Any relationship that does not allow for procreation, you've got to look at going, that's not marriage. Three, it models and affirms different roles. In a marriage, God has given us all different roles and different responsibilities. We're We're all equal in Christ, but with that, there's different roles and responsibilities that God gives us, and it's laid out throughout Scripture. Four, it affirms sexuality. Again, intentionally male, intentionally female. When you look at how God has laid out this whole marriage thing, if you want to have success, you've got to get God's definition and you've got to get God's concept. Five, marriage is a holy portrait of Christ and the church. Repeatedly, we'll get to Ephesians here in a bit, but repeatedly you will see that the portrait of marriage is a representation of how Christ loves the church and refers to us as the bride of Christ. Now, everybody clean on God's paradigm and blueprint of what marriage is. Makes sense. Just nod with me. All right, so marriage, as God lays it out, is a covenant. And I've got those terms defined in your bulletin for a reason because I want you to get them. Covenant is a binding will that is agreed upon that is to last a lifetime. When you enter into covenant, it is this binding will that you're entering into before God and male with female, whatever. When you enter into this, it is a binding will that is to last a lifetime. Our society treats marriage as if it's a contract. The working definition of a contract is an agreement between two or more parties enforced by the law that can be broken or violated. God is not a contract God. When people treat marriage as if it's a contract, they're telling me a lot about their view of God. They're telling me their God is not a covenant-keeping God. Their concept of God is messed up. Okay, everybody clean. Everybody clean. So Malachi 2.14 says, the Lord has been a witness between you and your wife. The Lord has been a witness. She is your companion and she is your wife by covenant. A binding will that is agreed upon by both parties as you come into it that is to last a lifetime. I want to unpackage it. Now, a marriage covenant includes four things. Four things. 
I was reading through Genesis 31 this morning. That's one of the references I've got for you there. But a marriage covenant includes four things. A statement of values that will be agreed upon. I'll break that down for you here in a few seconds. But there is a statement of values, of core values that are agreed upon by the man and his wife when they come together. Two, there is a binding will. There is a binding will is secured by your oath or by vows. We go through vows when we do weddings, when we do marriage ceremonies because it's covenant. A pledge is made to guarantee that it will not be broken. Do you get that? There's got to be a pledge under these values and vows to say this will not be broken. For the covenant then is confirmed by some external act, we use rings in our society. And so every wedding I do, I'll talk about, you know, uh, we're going to exchange rings now, but it's a token and a symbol of the promise of the vows you made. Rings don't make you married, but it's the external act and the external symbol of saying, I'm married. Just like today, we're going to baptize six people here in this second uh, service here. And, and what, what they're doing is they're giving this external act of this internal surrender that's happened in their hearts. It makes sense. So values, vows, pledge, and this external act is all part of understanding what God calls us to in a successful marriage covenant before him. Now, this is one of the most powerful things for me. When you go back and study the culture of that day, when two people entered into a covenant, when they entered into this covenant with one another, a goat or a lamb would be slain. And the carcass of this goat or lamb would be split. And this little ditch pathway, half of it would be laid on this side and half would be laid on the other side. Now now check this out. The two people would walk in between these dead carcasses where the blood has been spilled out. And they would, they, this, this is what they would say. They, they would validate and, and they, they would make this vow and promise to God and each other as they walk between these two dead carcasses, if you will, these two halves. And this is what they would say. May God so do to me, cut me in half, if I would ever do anything to violate the covenant and promise that I'm making with you before God today. You, you see the sincerity and the, the depth of it. Every, everybody gets how powerful this is. And so they would walk through it. Would God so do to me if I would ever do anything to violate this promise and this covenant? Now here, here's what I want you to hear. Marriage cannot, cannot, cannot be taken lightly. There's people that are going to walk on to these grounds today that their marriage is at a rough spot. There's going to be couples that walk in here today on this Valentine's Day, and believe me, it's not a real sweetheart experience for some. Some are contemplating throwing in the towel. Some are contemplating calling it quits. Maybe you've been there. In 25 plus years, Barb and I do not use a, the D word in our house. It's not, it's not even a permissible, acceptable word. It's the dirtiest word in the human vocabulary for us. But some are coming in, and they're like, I just don't know if I want to stay with it. If you are in covenant today, you've got to stop. Stop. You've got to be willing to fight for your marriage. 
Fight for your covenant. Do everything you can to live out the roles and responsibilities that God has called you to. I've had people come to me and say, yeah, but the person I'm married to right now is an adultery or they've been abusive. But have you really sought God and sought Christian counsel? Have you done everything you can to fight to protect that marriage and preserve that marriage? I know people, man, some of them just fell apart. It was abuse. It was abandonment. It was all this stuff that happened. But did I do everything to honor God in the covenant that I made? Now, 25 years ago, this is what I said to Barb. 25 years ago, I said, I take you, Barb, to be my wife. This is vow, values, pledge. I take you, Barb, to be my wife, to love you as Christ loves the church, Ephesians 5. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. I promise to love you and I promise to cherish you until we're separated by death. As God is my witness, I give you my vow. I promise to honor you and to live together in the holy bond of married life. I vow to join in making a home that shall endure in God's love and peace. I pledge my complete faithfulness through all the changing experiences of life. I freely give myself completely, body, mind, and soul, that from this day forth, I shall be committed only to you as long as we both shall live. If I would ever do anything to break this covenant, I prayed that God would deal with me firmly and severely. Come on. You, you see the soberness in marriage. Now, if I want to have a successful marriage, I've got to do marriage God's way. I can't let Hollywood define marriage. I can't let anyone else define what covenant looks like except the word of God. Values, vows, a pledge, the external act. And 25 years ago, when I married her, it is the greatest earthly decision I've ever made. I'm only in two covenants today, guys. I'm in a covenant with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that redeemed me from my sin and brought me into intimacy with him. And I'm in a relationship of covenant with my wife. Greatest decision I ever made. I am so blessed and honored to be able to do life with this woman is we both seek God and want to be all that God's called us to be. You've got to fight for that covenant. You've got to do everything you can to be that man, that woman that God's called you to be. Now, the marriage covenant is sacred. Write these three words down. It's sacred. It is holy. Why is the marriage covenant holy? Because it's, listen to this, it is initiated by God. It was God's idea. It's God's design. It is a holy act when you enter into covenant. Every couple, Hannah, Corey, Trevi, Brittany. I mean, I can go around these couples that we've done weddings for. We sit down and do pre-marriage counseling, but we talk about the soberness and the seriousness of what covenant looks like. This is a holy thing before God. Two, it is an irrevocable promise that you're making. It, we're not looking for ways out. We're looking to be all that God's called us to be, which means it's oneness with an imperfect person of opposite sex forever. It's oneness. I'm telling you, 
when you got married, you married an imperfect person. You don't have the ability to change them. When Barb got married, she married a flawed, messed up, imperfect person. Heathen is what she married. A redeemed heathen. But she did it for a lifetime. Why? It's to glorify God. Do you know there's churches that do not teach the doctrine of eternal security? Can I tell you something? A God that's capable of saving me but not keeping me is not a God worth following. When I start to understand that I've been brought into this covenant through the shed blood of Christ, I'm in this covenant with God. And when he says, I will never, never leave you or forsake you, my behavior does not determine whether he loves and saves. Now, I got to get that definition of what salvation is right. It's not greasy grace and easy believism, but it's the same thing when you enter into a covenant with each other. You've got to look going, uh-uh, this is a covenant. It is to glorify God. It's an irrevocable promise that is to last a lifetime. Come on, makes sense. Now, I could have come up here today and talked about reading the five love languages and, and uh, his needs, her needs, and I could, I, I could have recommended a lot of books to you. But if we get this biblical paradigm right, those books become just tools to aid us. We've got to get the blueprint right. Now, being in covenant implies four things for me. It implies that I will get up. I will refuse to be lazy. I will refuse to be passive. I will refuse to sit around and do nothing. I, as the man... In our relationship, I will tell you this. I don't have permission to whine and complain and moan and groan all the stinking time. When God saved me, he started doing a work in me. And he who began the work will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. One of the things God has shown me in my 53 years on this planet now, but 25 years in marriage is, get up. Get up. Quit being lazy. Quit complaining. Quit expecting her to do everything for you. Throw yourself totally into this. Second thing, I will grow up. I will get up, but I've got to grow up. And God has been carving away and trimming away things in my life from the day I got saved. Can I tell you something? I'm still growing up into the person God wants me to be. My tassel hasn't been turned. I haven't graduated. I don't have all the answers for marriage. I don't have all the answers for life. But God has all the answers. He's still growing me up. I believe I will be growing up until the day I breathe my last breath. So I'm going to get up. I'm going to grow up. Then I'm going to show up. Meaning God has called me to be priest and prophet and provider and protector in my family. Hey, hey, you've got to show up, dude. You've got to show up every day. Marriage is 365, 24-7. You don't get days off. You don't get plays off. You don't get moments off. You're in this thing for the long haul. And so once God started to cement that in my heart, I'm like, that's his blueprint. Adam, where are you? Well, I was passive. I didn't step up. I didn't show up. Go back and look at the, the sin of Adam when, the silence of Adam when he refused to protect his wife Eve, when he refused to stand up to the evil one. What happened? Oh, the woman you gave me jacked it up. No, you jacked it up because you didn't show up. Come on. God, 
God calls us men to show up, get up, grow up, and then to know what's up. I want to know what's up with my wife. I want to know what's up in her world. I want to know what's up with my kids. I want to know what's up in my house. I want to know what's up with our finances. I want to know what's up in every area. I want to know what's up on the TV. What y'all watching? I want to know what's up on the internet. I want to know what's up when you're saying you want to invite somebody over. I want to know what's up when you say, well, so-and-so has invited me to come over to their house. No, 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 I don't know what's up with them well enough. I don't know what their DNA is. I don't know where they're at with sex, alcohol, and drug issues in their life. No, no, you ain't going over there. Why? Because I don't know what's up. Because I'm showing up. Because I'm growing up. Because I chose to get up this morning. I got to know. Come on. Makes sense? Come on, guys. Gals. Happy Valentine's. Here we go. Come on. So the math of marriage is this. The math of marriage is one plus one plus the one equals oneness. When one and one come together without the one, there will not be oneness. What I'm saying is this. Two eyes must become one we if we're going to win in this thing. If we're going to win. I've had couples in pre-marriage counseling look at me and say, well, she's got her checking account. I'm going to have my checking account. Say say what? Well, she brought her stuff. I brought my stuff. No, 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 no. It's ours. It's we. When you start to function in that mindset of two separate entities thinking that you're going to make a marriage work, it's not going to work. It's two eyes becoming one we. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, everything that Barb and I do, the two have become one. We do life together. We do it together. My buddy Mark, I was thinking about him when I was even working through this. It was so crazy when Sandra passed away this past fall. But every time you referred to Mark, it was Mark and Sandra. It was never Mark, or it was never just Sandra. It was always peanut butter and jelly. The two always went together. The two were never separated. So when you talked about them, it was like the oneness that they modeled was a testimony for me and Barb to look at, look at that love relationship. Look at that love relationship. And God is healing him as he continues to walk even now, man, with the heartbreak of his wife passing away. But the two were one. They were not two separate entities. And I would see them and I'm like, man, thank you all, Mark. Thank you, Sandra, for modeling what authentic covenant looked like for me and Barb. Man, I needed that right there.
Now, we've used the triangle to explain this in the past, but it's still my favorite illustration. So, so reality is when you've got a man and you've got a woman, reality is how do you get closer to each other? It is your surrender and pursuit of Christ. Christ is at the top of it. It's one plus one with the oneness of the Godhead and leadership of Jesus that bring about oneness in the marriage. The closer I am with Christ and the closer Barb is and walking in the spirit and full of his love and full of his grace, guess what? You get toward the top of that and you go, we're so close together. Why? We're on the same page. We're surrendering to the same God. We're loving each other. We're pursuing each other. Here's a key word. If you've gone through marriage counseling with me, you've heard this and I want you to get this. This is so essential. So when we get married... Barb and I, Trevor and Brittany, Hannah and Corey, whoever, and you get married, you've got a man and a woman coming together. Guess what? The lie is, praise God, God has brought y'all together to complete each other. Barb can't complete me. She's a flawed human being who's imperfect, marrying a flawed human being who is imperfect. I find my completion in Christ and him alone. But as we submit to the completion of the lordship of Jesus, guess what happens? We start complimenting each other. The word has got to be complement, not complete. When you complement each other, you grow. You've got each other's back. You're you're always thinking, man, I'm for you. My spouse is for me. But you come together and if you look at your spouse and say, complete me, you can't. It's impossible. I mean, you know the the great story even of Genesis is God makes man out of dirt. God makes woman out of the rib of man, not his spare rib, but his prime rib. And she fashions them together. So you've got this man and woman. Sin enters into the equation. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to desire your husband now. You're going to long for your husband and turn to your husband. Adam, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to toil the earth. What, What was the sentence? There's a sentence for sin. What did Eve end up doing? She ended up running back to what God had made her out of the rib and said, validate me, complete me, I turn to you. He couldn't do it because what was unique about Eve was the breath of God that had been breathed into her, not what God made her out of. What's going to happen with Adam? You're going to toil the soil. There's going to be thorns and thistles. What did Adam go back to? He went back to dirt. And he asked dirt, give me identity, give me validation. So many guys run back to their dirt, their baseball field in my culture or football field or whatever. And they run to dirt saying, dirt, complete me. Dirt can't complete us. We find our completion in Christ alone, surrendering to his leadership and lordship. And then as we do that, we learn the importance of living a life of healthy communication. People told me, hey, the key to a great marriage is you've got to learn to compromise. Compromise is a death word. It's my favorite analogy here, but compromise says if you'll give up some of who you are, I'll give up some of who I am and we'll meet in the middle. No, I want you to bring all of who you are and I want to bring all of who I am in Christ and I don't want to compromise, but I want to learn to collaborate. Collaborate is a healthy word where you are able to talk through issues together, make a resolve, and you're able to live in victory. Compromise. No, it's a death word. Meet me halfway. Where's that? There's no such thing as halfway. Halfway. 
Everybody clean on God's blueprint? Everybody tight? So if we're submitting to this blueprint that God's laid out, I believe we can have a successful marriage. Yeah, we'll read and and we'll do everything we can. We'll hang with John Trent and Gary Smalley and Gary Chapman and we'll read these guys who have written great materials out there to help us in marriage. Yeah, I mean, Dennis Rainey and Family Life, we'll say, yeah, man, I want to I access some of that information. The Song of Solomon, man, we'll read this stuff and go, man, that is great material. I want to make sure I've got it. But man, I'm telling you, when you start to live according to God's blueprint and design, watch God work. Ephesians 5. Out of respect for Christ, I'm reading it out of the message. I love the way Eugene Peterson captures this one. Out of respect for Christ, be courteous and reverent to one another. Starts in verse 21. Out of respect and reverence and adoration for Christ, be courteous and reverent and respectful to one another. Wives, listen, listen. As both of you are submitting to the lordship of Jesus, understand and support your husbands in ways that show that you really support Christ. In ways that show that you support Christ's design. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does the church. Husbands provide leadership. They priest, they prophet, they protect, they provide. Husbands show up, grow up, know what's up, get up every day. They provide leadership and direction. Listen to what he says. Just as Christ does the church. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. Did you hear that? Not by manipulation and control, but by serving and loving. Listen to what he goes on to say. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives. Exactly as Christ did for the church. A love that's marked by giving and not by getting. Do the dishes with no strings attached. Vacuum the floor with no strings attached. Make the bed with no strings attached. Give. Slay the hidden agendas. Come on. You guys are looking at me like, I've heard that too, brother. Believe me, I've heard it. Oh, God, he's washing the dishes. All right, Barb. But here it goes. Everything Christ does We're to reflect. Everything we do and say is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. Everything we're to do, washing her with the word, is to bring out the best. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer are they two, they become one. If you're dating, please and you have it consulted with some godly counsel, please let some of our team sit down and just walk with you for a bit, oh, before you pull the trigger and do something where you go, ah, I didn't have enough information. We want to help you. We want to walk with you. No couple in here has got it all figured out. But we've experienced enough success by doing it God's way that we might be able to shine a little light on where you're at and help you out. If you're thinking about throwing the towel in, stop it. Don't, 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 don't be rash. There's, there's couples in this church right now. Listen to this. 
in the last two or three years, I could probably name eight or ten couples where the wife was fed up, husband disengaged, wouldn't come to church, wouldn't participate, wouldn't lead the family, smoking dope, drinking like a fish, staying in the woods and fishing every weekend. And I've seen God change that man's heart. In a marriage that they never had experienced because of the centrality of Christ now, they're flourishing. I could go around couple after couple. A couple of the girls that were with Barb the other night, their husbands. I said, can you believe how God has radically transformed his heart? You were tired of it. I've had enough. But they honored their covenant. And God has restored and resurrected that which was dead and brought life. That's where it starts.